you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Waru Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and Emmys. Welcome to Warrior Dash Show, Streamer 4, Episode 13, Season 3, Banana Fish, Season 1, Episode... There, there. you get the point. <laughs> We've been on break, so excuse me for being a bit rough around the edges with the intro there. But anyway, here to put me back, here's put me back on track, you know, for the journey ahead is none other, of course, than the Soul Doctor. Hello, everybody. Greetings. Uh, I don't know if I'll put you on track or push you farther off. I also was like wait a minute how do i turn the stream on again <laughs> for a minute there well you, well you know if if anyone needs a good conductor doc it's you I, is that a joke a, like an electrical joke it's a train <laughs> joke because oh, there's oh, going to be right. plenty of those today Listen, when we you know talk about the train <laughs> yeah trains are oh right. oh yes i, I yes know, i have t- i have uh I, I was discussing this with um this not the point that you're making but the point i'm about to make with uh mark from ono oh anime at vermillionaire uh he's a super cool guy uh we were talking about the strange like strangely huge amount of electronic music that's about trains <laughs> so I, have, I have a lot of that slotted away if anybody uh among us needs to step away uh from the camera for a moment i've got some some trained theme techno on deck no is it off the rails <laughs> it's not it's gonna be like that for the rest of the stream folks i am so sorry uh 
Doc is actually very grateful that he didn't drink them because I get the feeling that it would have probably been a bottle of your camera. I'm so sorry. Uh, I am, by the way, drinking a hobcock. So cheers. All right. So, first off, then, I think, do we want to firstly address the Twitter polls from previous, or do we want to dive right into the episode? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Twitter poll. The Twitter polls. What were the polls <laughs> from last time? Polls, Allow me polls, to polls. scroll. Polls, polls, polls. Allow me to scroll, <laughs> scroll, scroll down. Um, let's see, there's Dick of the Goblins joke. Scrolling past that. Um, Classic. Okay. Classic. Indeed. All right. Here are our polls from the last time we did the show. Mm-hmm. Date that I honestly don't remember. Lots happened. Lots happened. I've been places, seen things, yes, seen things. had 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 talks with people uh, who didn't know who, who didn't know you know what they were talking about when it came to certain shows. <laughs> You're on ice. Yeah. <laughs> Oh god! I'll, I'll, honestly, I'll just link the video at some point. Yes. It's me, admittedly, kind of half drunk, but I'm also basically telling people: a, you know what, romance between whoever is great. B, for fight game players, you might want to appreciate Yuri on Ice for the fact that it's about kindling passion. You know what makes a competitive sport interesting and engaging people and why it matters so much. Maybe that might be a little relevant to you. Possibly, I don't know. Just, just chucking that out there. Uh, her doctor, you may wish to crank your uh, volume up tiny bits. Oh, am I am I low? Uh, okay, let me let me take care. You're, of you're low. You're low. So bring it high, my friend. Bring it up. All right. Let's see what I can do. Uh, ah. How's that? Better. Let's well, know, Emily. Emily's saying in chat that you uh, sounded me on a bit such on the quiet side. Mm, okay. Let me see. Uh, there are other things, <clears throat> other things I can do. You need a new station for your mic. There you go. Possibly. Um, I don't know if I can turn myself up in Discord uh, or not. Um, now, now, well, if I do that, it's just gonna like show weird shit on, <laughs> on the screen <laughs> instead of my. Uh, my what? Face. What? What are you? What are you? Super, honestly, honestly. <laughs> All right, anyway, so back to the Swiss yeah. polls. What we yeah. got? Okay, okay. Um, the polls, uh, we have, let's see. Is the Ash slash Max son slash daddy thing getting weird? 69, very nice. Nice. Percent, say, shut up, prude. 21% <laughs> say a little bit, 10% say very weird. Uh, have you heard the phrase potato budget before? I can't remember who, like, deployed that. Probably basically. Like, <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was very, let me, okay, here, wait a minute, let me just, okay, I've turned up my volume in the, I've turned up my mic in, in, um, why can't I make words? What is happening? <laughs> OBS. <laughs> um, a ter- okay, so potato budget. Someone used this term, this phrase in chat, and I was like, "What? What does that mean?" Oh, you're right. It was chat. It wasn't me. Sorry. No, it was not you. Um, but fifty-two uh, per. Uh, sorry, fifty-seven percent say no. They've never heard it before. So I, I was, I was on the side of science. Mm, right sounds side. to me like the mashing. Sounds to me immediately like the mashing a lot of words together. It's. 
It's a fun phrase. <laughs> I just had never heard it before. Sorry, I'm throwing out all the puns today. All of them. So, uh, Ash, are Ash's gang war methods necessary for accomplishing his purposes? So this was sort of a, like, I guess a utilitarian sort of question. And 61% say, do what must be done. Yes, they are necessary. His scorched earth policy of taking it to Arthur's guys and just completely laying them to waste, murdering guilty and you know, like is necessary. You know, in light of episode 13, I have to say, like, if you want to say no, they were not necessary... Um, and whites make the argument not because of morals or ethics, but just because Arthur's men were completely, utterly useless. That would work as well. Mm-hmm. Because, holy shit, this episode was... Well, I'll just come out and say it. It was good. But it was also pretty weak in places. And, well, if you watch the uh, viewer count there... Well, let's go, go to... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just telling us to see it. soundboard you've been you've been, <laughs> you've been booed by the way file well clearly what you need to do next talk is you need to make it so that your audio comes out of the left earphone mine comes out of the right <laughs> and that way people can mute one of the channels that way they only ever hear you speak if ever i start talking right so please like this episode though, speak. You, you'll be the devil on their shoulder or their left ear <laughs> so um okay those are our polls uh please continue to vote in them and also to say fun things in chat that make us think of them or suggest them outright oh yeah keep them coming all right so let's talk about episode 13 the snows of kilimanjaro which i am i mean it's happened all the other times before (laughs) i don't know it but i'm willing to bet you it's a novel i mean ash said as much yeah yeah that's true like you're right yeah yeah, we got we got the whole thing here actually outright referenced Was it. That a, um, I didn't bother to Google it. I'm gonna Google it now. I'm gonna guess it's a Hemingway story. That sounds like it could be right. Any that other does any, sound... any other any other any other guesses on your part before I press enter? Uh, no, I'm I'm going Hemingway on that one. I would make Hemingway the odds on favorite with, with... Yeah. He's a he's a well traveled yeah, man. It's a short story by Ernest Hemingway. I was gonna. Yeah, yeah. I, I think at this point you have to put F. Scott Fitzgerald on the board as a bet, even if <laughs> Fitzgerald doesn't have the best odds, just because you know he's been. Here you should so make a bingo card out of these <laughs> literary references. I know. You know, we'll have a full house by the end of this. All right. Anyway, speaking of uh, house, guys, let's talk about the episode. So the episode opens with a brief flashback before you know the ending of the previous episode when. Uh, Ash left off into the night to go finally kill his one true nemesis, Dio. I, of course, mean Arthur. Trash is saying himself. Yeah, pretty much. Not the last Dio reference I'm going to make, but yeah. So uh, Ash gives instructions to his two flunkies saying, right, okay, here's how this is going to happen. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to kill the fuck out of Arthur. In the meantime, you are to get Ash out of the country via the plane that I have booked for him. And, you know, they ask him, oh, he's going to hate you for all of this, surely? And he's like, yeah, that's the point. I don't want to, you know, leave a lingering attachment there. I want to, you know, get rid of it for ages' sake. The old, you know, I'm pushing you away because I don't want you to be close to thing, even though ideally he would. I'll see um, Anyway, he's not the only one brooding, though, because, of course, now he turns everyone's favorite sock puppet after himself, who's just, you know, 
enjoying his time getting ready. For, yeah. Oh, because he, because he, because he's limping, useless. He's a sock puppet. What else could we? What else is you know? We have to. I feel like this is the episode where we have to exhaust all of our references. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's currently brooding, you know, uh, in a bedroom somewhere, thinking about the time that he and Ash actually fought. Specifically, he's looking at his fingers, and he reminds himself of the fight in which he lost to Ash, and then tried to kill him with a gunshot to the back. Ash, you know, because well, he taps into the Matrix, dodged the bullet, got in close, and then cut Arthur's fingers off. So that's how it happened. Uh, Ash, by the way, also when I say the Matrix, like the roundhouse kick in the judo throw he pulls off here. <laughs> Like, I'm very sorry to say, like, I really do like Ash as a character, but this, some bits of this show are starting to go a bit extreme on just how good he is at combat. And this is not the last time I'll mention this when we get to later parts of the episode, once, you know, yeah. the fight actually does start. Yeah, we'll talk about I mean, this coming up. But, uh, yeah. This is the one where, I mean... Credulity is strained. Yeah, they've done a good job so far, relatively speaking good, uh, at sort of striking a balance between ash being this sort of feared devil you know gunman with a reputation of like being able to take out just about anybody and make it and, and having that be his reputation but it like not putting him in these situations where he has to be like nathan drake and just slaughter waves and waves and waves. That is the best comparison I could think. Like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like the phrase, the phrase "cover shoots" mechanics came to mind a couple of times. During, <laughs> when he's so. just out in the open sometimes. Sometimes, and these kids are just like worse than stormtroopers at with their aim or fumbling their guns. I don't know. I'm getting into it now, but but yeah, they mm-hmm. never they haven't put him in too many like. There's been a couple situations, of course, where he's faced more than one person, but they were in corridors, and he was heavily armed or, or had backup, or I don't know. The situation just seems slightly more believable. Like, it's like, okay, like, he's, well, it seems he's Rambo. This, I was, he's uh, Rambo, but, like, it's a believable Rambo. It's not like mm-hmm. he's just fucking walking up to an army you know mm-hmm. it's not some dragon ball shit you know where he's like catching bullets and throwing them you know <laughs> which it, it wasn't exactly that here but uh but boy it, it got a little bit yeah all right anyway so back on track after the op uh arthur arrives at the meeting place where kate is waiting for it uh you know reminds him no tricks one-on-one and my god kate is a global bastard i mean I mean, Jesus Christ, like, I, I know that, like, you know, Ash kind of wowed him with his, you know, big brass balls thing in the previous episode. But I genuinely, at this point, think Kane is probably not really that good at anything. Like, Aww. honestly. Aww. Like, got... looking imposing and intimidating. Oh, c- congratulations, <laughs> and he can be a shot front mannequin for all I care. <laughs> what the fuck could he do? Like, you know. Ugh. Anyway, moving on. He's good so, at having... A sort of cool nickname in a show with some questionable nicknames. Well, you know, he just needs a henchman who's called a bell and then we're all set. Well, actually, no, he, there's a reason he doesn't because he's already killed him. Hey, oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. So they arrive at the subway, which has been disused, and, you know, men are watching all the other exits. Kane's meant to sit. suck. Let me just, oh, let me put that out. Every here. henchman sucks ever. Oh, like- 
All of them. Perpetually. They're all shit. (laughs) So, So Sing just wanders in. And he's like, I've had my people clean the place out. And it's like, okay. Sure. Oh, don't That's one thing. And then they start crawling out of the trash can. <laughs> I literally thought someone was going to fall out of a roof tile by accident. <laughs> like, who else was going to turn up next? Were we going to start having, you know, like, the Baseball Furies turn up? Oh, bye, bye. Would, would, would D12 going to turn up with Eminem in tow? <laughs> Catch you later, Lucy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, 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 like, someone was just going to step out this was, this was from, turning into this... from behind Kane. <laughs> This, this, bit, this bit was turning into the scene from Anchorman, where they have the fight. Like, you know, you start off the two, and then suddenly it's just more and more and more and more. I'm su- oh, I, I, I love that scene. Oh, I'm, surprised, I'm surprised Ben Stiller with his fake, uh, you know, faux Spanish accent didn't turn up and say, Spanish language is here to watch Ash Lynx get his ass kicked. But, okay, in the defense of the show, I want to say that... I feel like we sort of should have expected this. I feel like it's it's you know for for a little while it's been. Oh, I totally knew that Arthur was gonna you know not. He wasn't gonna be straight with this. He was of course no, gonna no, be no. a bad bastard. Well, that 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 is yes, but I mean just the silliness of like people pouring out of like manhole covers, like a train coming in and like the gunfight in the train. But before all that stuff, this episode, I don't know. I mean. Ash did discover a hidden armory and, like, you know, go through a mansion, like, wearing a couple of, like, bandoliers and had a, a automatic machine gun in each hand. Like, I, f- I feel like, I don't know, maybe you should have seen it coming that this, that the plot wasn't necessarily going for, like, realism, gritty yeah. realism. I mean, it's going for gritty feelings and, like, dark yes, feelings and dealing yes. with real issues, but, like, but maybe I don't know. They did drive a truck into the a fucking semi truck into the bad guy's hideout and just come. Out I, I I do I do have to say like on the one hand I actually do want to give Arthur credit for pulling off the most ambitious drive by ever. I mean, who's done a drive by using a subway train? That's impressive. That's really something. But I also oh, like to imagine oh, in an alternate version. <laughs> I like to imagine in an alternate version of this show, like they had an outtake. Like, all of his men get on that train and they go to the completely wrong station. There's just some hobo there reading a newspaper. Like, <laughs> I hadn't uh, seen a train stopping here in months. They're like, fuck, boss, oh, what no. do we do? I'll just go to the next one. We'll get there eventually. We accidentally took the L train. <laughs> no, oh, shit. The wrong line. Oh, yeah, man. That, that reminded me, that was some, like, I don't know, Streets of Rage shit right there. Final fight. You're right. Just, like, You're right. Wall yeah. Guns. <laughs> On a, so they they took their own graffiti covered train, like something about the aesthetics of it was really appealing. Just mm. a rogue graffiti covered train, like full of you know Uzi toting thugs dressed up, yeah. you know, like they're in Fatal Fury or Streets of Rage. To, to be fair, Arthur is so pathetic. I'm literally stunned that rather than train, it wasn't just like one of those like little car things that have two people like winding a lever back and forth mm-hmm. like I literally thought I was going to be like you just hear it like <laughs> you just hear it coming from miles away the wily coyote like yeah exactly yes. the, the bug's bloody shit right there alright so back on track okay sorry Emily asked a good question like or raises a good point rather like 
how did Arthur get this train? I mean, we know if that it was, uh, Golzine his, his has thing. connections. Yes, yes. Is... If it was Golzine, I'd have bought it. But, but how can they... I'm surprised Arthur is intelligent enough to understand how to use the subway, never mind actually get, buy and run a train down here. Yeah, I mean, how did they get a train and shut down a... I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just as, as uncomplicated as, you know, they have someone someone some decision maker on their payroll and they shut down a part of the subway for cleaning that day or something i'll i will be fair and say that before galzine left he did give all of his operations over to arthur so he could very well have the connections through them. who is just Certainly not anything. burning alliances left and right <laughs> like uh, what a fucking idiot <laughs> all the way to the end i know I know. Alright, so anyway, yes, uh, the pair of them do arrive. Ash arrives at the subway. They go down to, you know, the station, the stall area. Uh, Su Ling is waiting for them. Uh, one thing I want to mention, actually, very briefly, that I haven't brought uh, before about Su Ling is that I've noticed that his jacket has a monkey on it. Again, you can see the animal motif there with the various characters. Just a small aside. Uh, so Su Ling, you know, he, <laughs> he says he wants to stay and watch, and I'm like, okay, fair enough. And then he says, alright, after Kane, that is, says, All right, gentlemen, drive you to have a disagreement. Ash's like, Nah. And Arthur's like, I refuse. And I'm like, <laughs> So Link then just starts taking the piss off. And I'm like, Even the show at this point thinks Arthur is useless. Yeah. And you have that's, kids that is fun. <laughs> that, I mean, Sue Link is barely old enough to ride the teacups at Disneyland, and he's still taking the piss out of this guy. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, right? I want you to put a pin in that for later because. Without well, we'll spoil because we're going to spoil it anyway. Arthur is ninety percent certain to be dead at the end of this episode. I am fairly confident. So we're going to have a bit of. A, we're still going to do a post-mortem quote unquote on this. That was pretty bad. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, we're going to do. We're going to talk about Arthur as a character at the end of this. Here's the problem. I don't mind making a laugh and a joke about Arthur as a character, and I'll go into this more detail later once we summarize the plot. Well, there's a point in which I think that unfortunately it went a bit too far, and now even the show's getting on it, and this kind of just. Hmm. Anyway, we'll I'll save that. Do, so yeah, do you, um... do you think he needs credibility in, in some sense, at least as a within the organization, or he needed to feel games? like an actual. He needed to feel like an actual threat. That's why I'll say now, but I'll save the discussion for that for later. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, they do indeed, you know, get ready to start throwing down. No guns. They hand over the guns. That's all side. Like, Arthur says, I didn't bring one. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Arthur's midnight train, you know, the Ozzy Osbourne crazy train song, like, arrives. <laughs> shooting all the Uzis everywhere. Uh, Kane's men, because they're idiots, like, they hear gunfire and they think, so, all right, what are we going to do? We're going to run down the stairs and get mowed down. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> They have to protect but, their boss. Come on. Look, look. I know that Operation Bullet Sponge is a thing, but it's not a viable strategy. Like, holy shit, honestly. Everyone who's basically not Ash and maybe AG are idiots in this episode. It's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that happens, and all the various guys start pouring out the train. Uh, Su Ling passes, you know, Ash's gun to Kane, who then gets his Ash. And at this point, every single one of Arthur's men forgets how guns work or cover or common sense. That all completely evaporates the moment Ash gets hold of his revolver and he starts murdering the fuck out of everyone. Um, and so more and more people, of course, start pouring out. At this point, you know, uh, Su Ling's guys show up. 
and they start killing people and then Kane's guys show up By and they start up, they like materialize from thin air yeah <laughs> like, I'm surprised like there wasn't a smoke cloud <laughs> speaking of Bugs Bunny it's like one of those situations where you have like the skinniest pole in the world that no one can ever fit behind and then mm-hmm. whoop, someone someone is revealed to have been behind it like those yeah. just coming out of like these tiny crevices in the in the floor and stuff pretty pretty much yeah all right so in all this in in all this in all this chaos and confusion ash actually does manage to get on board the train as it departs because arthur decides you know well i'm gonna do the monty python and run away live another day it was a max Payne style dive and roll Oh, the, no the Max Payne references. I'm real. I'm I'm so genuinely surprised. Like I could put Max Payne quotes over this in Ash's voice, and it would fit so much of it. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, train gets away. Ash is on board, and you know, this is the point where things start. Well, I had to. I was also going to make it off the rails joke then, but oh fuck yeah, I will. Things do go off the rails here a little bit narratively. Uh, but before we get to that, of course, Ag wakes up. Uh, he was. Um, he goes outside, tries to leave, and of course, Ash is too flunky. He's stopping. Says, "Yeah, no, you gotta wait here. I'm gonna take you to the airport." He says, "Can I have a little bit of a rest?" And he does. You know, get some kip. Uh, this, if I'm not mistaken, oh, it's a bit later actually. Uh, so yeah, he's like thinking himself, like, "Ash, where have you been? What are you? What are you doing? Like, what kind of person are you?" So the stuff with it. Uh, meanwhile, back on the train to Mentos, uh, because that's where they're ending up right now. Ah. I mean, can you just, I mean, you can just imagine that, like, you've got, you know, Mona and all the various phantom thieves in the car, and that train goes past. They're like, hey, what's that? I'm like, ah, nothing. It's fine. Ignore it. It's fine. It's fine. Just keep uh, going. So anyway. Just keep going. So anyway. Open questions, people in the chat. Have you ever seen the movie Hot Shots Part Due or 2? Uh, it's I a Rambo have, parody. I have. It's been fucking decades. So it's probably remember. older than some of the people in this yeah, chat, to be I honest, because it's an old film. It, but yeah, it's what one of them is a Top Gun parody, and one of them is a Rambo, or they just kind of mix and match, like whatever. Right. They're just so it's, various action movies, right? Yeah. So here's the thing about this uh, movie, right? There's a scene in it in which there's a massive gunfight, in which I think it's Charlie Sheen's character uh, starts gunning down people with an M60, and the joke then is they have a kill counter on the bottom. Which then starts flashing up titles like "bloodiest," like "more kills than Terminator 2," "more kills than Die Hard," etc., etc., <laughs> right. culminating in "bloodiest action movie ever made." And as this whole train scene went on, that was the idea I thought of. That was the Ding. thing that came to mind. Ding. Like, I like. <sighs> Here's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it was getting real. It was getting a bit unreal. Tournament. I mean, you mentioned Nathan Drake before. It literally felt like cover shooting mechanics. I'm honestly surprised that when Ash gets shot later, that he didn't crouch behind cover and have that wound just magically heal itself. Why did the Why did the camera not go like the shot should have turned black and white and the background? But, yeah, it's got film burn out, on and it, and then like only have, like a heartbeat in our ear. <laughs> yeah, you're hurt. Sorry, get to cover. Like we're I'm like making a lot of jokes because I think they're funny and I'm. It sounds like I'm way more critical of the show for all this than I actually do feel in my in my heart. Like, uh, I, I am going to be critical mind. a bit. Okay, I, I know sorry you, to I, say I don't mind it as as much. Um, I'm I'm fine with um with a little bit well, of the board in this area. Uh, I'll I'll save my I'll I'll save my reason on that for the end again. But anyway, yeah. Um, like Arthur learns that Ash is on the train. and He says, "Right, it's okay. We're good." 
He's in the middle car-ish, like six car, I think it is. So we'll get the guys at the rear and the guys at the front to just, you know, bits of moving. Not a bad strategy, except for the fact that, once again, as before, Arthur's men could not hit water if they fell out of the boat. You think I'm joking? They literally pillage down the car. They have him in the middle. He has nowhere to hide. He cannot shoot all of them at the same time because he only has a revolver, which, by the way, he somehow has unlimited ammo for and never reloads, which I was quite impressed by. That was the one. I was like, wow. (laughs) This is is something. Mm Mm-hmm. Seriously, I mean, he put in the cheat code. Like, where's he getting the bullets? Honestly, I'm surprised he didn't have no clip on. Just fade out <laughs> of the car and then just move on to a different one. So, yeah, why... Like, they do get a hit on him eventually. Uh, but even that, to me, feels trivial for him. Saving up a layer, put a pin in it. Um, so, of course, Ash is just mowing his way through all the various goons. It's not going particularly well for any of them. Um, we then, at some point, you know, I think AG like tries to leave again. Um, we then get the flashback, which is probably the episode's uh, most interesting moment. Um, this is one which we haven't seen before, in which Ash and AG are on the waterfront in New York somewhere, and they're discussing. Uh, Ash specifically brings up the topic of death. He says, "How do you, how do you feel about death?" And he mentions um, the title of the episode, which is of course the Snows of Kilimanjaro, and specifically the tale. Of a leopard, was it a leopard? It was, it was a leopard, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. A leopard, a leopard carcass they found at the top of Kilimanjaro's peak, uh, which was frozen there. And he's like, "Okay, why did the leopard get there? How did it end up there? What was the reasoning it for ending up there?" It's you know doesn't make sense. And he identifies with that as like you know almost being like how he feels he's going to die. Um, and he offers some reasoning uh, behind this, like or specifically offers reasoning why the leopard did it. Like, was it chasing prey? Got lost. Was it trying to come back down from the mouse and ultimately couldn't make it? Um, so he offers two reasons. I have a third theory that he doesn't mention, but I will get set at the end as one we're talking about. So pop it in there as well. Aliens. Sadly, like, no. Oh man, can you can you imagine? <laughs> can, you imagine can you imagine Ash versus the Xenomorph? <laughs> I need He'd that. do pretty well. I need that in my life. He would do. Oh, he, he would, would do well. He would. He he is. Uh... You know, I would say he, he might be more talented than than Ripley. You know, if he gives. Well, I was going to say if, if Ash, if Ash was a marine in Alien in Aliens, the second one, um, you know, the movie would be over in forty minutes because he would be the only one not to lose his shit, and he would deal with them all. Who, who is, would Arthur be in in Aliens? Would he be? Oh, he would be. He would be the spineless. He would be the spineless Whalen Utani corporate guy. Oh, he, so he would be that guy. That, yeah, he, okay. he would be the he would be the spineless twat basically. Who's, um, who's Bill Paxton? <laughs> is that uh, uh, Bill Paxton was one of the uh, Marines? EBay. <laughs> it's eBay Bill Paxton. But no, he's Max. Max. Game Max. over, man. <laughs> the, the overly cautious one. Yeah, indeed. Um, so that's the tale that he relates anyway, specifically of the leopard's carcass of what he. It means to him as like you know where his life is and where he's going to end up, uh, and as I say, he offers two ideas on it, but I have a different association which I'll save. Um, so anyway, after that, Ag manages to slip you know his uh, his flunkies gets lift down. He mentions another uh, scene which we haven't seen previously, in which Ash was like you know weeping in his sleep, you know crying out for his mother, um, and uh, Ag says he ignored it, but he's like again pondering you know what this could mean, like, you know, how torched is Ash as a person, like, that kind of stuff. Anyway, back to the train car of death, and, well, one of Arthur's goons is so pathetic, he just gives up and just falls to the floor to be shot. 
I mean, I suppose I should credit the guy at least for thinking to himself, you know, I know I'm going to die, so I might as well just make it quick. I mean, I'm not getting off this train car alive. So, hey. But anyway, uh, the cops are being rallied to the end of Death Station, the end of the line, literally, for Arthur, as it turns out later, which I thought was a nice little... Uh, even if perhaps Bellman knows, I thought it was a nice bit so, of metaphor there. Go on. Uh, refresh my memory of how the cops were made aware of this in the first place. They were tracking the subway system. I think... Um, Why? Uh, ooh. I don't know. Something must have sparked their interest to keep an eye out for it. Okay. Well, that's how they that's how they know they're going to Coney Island anyway. Right, right. That's where the that's where the line is. Speaking yeah. of which, Coney Island Warriors reference. Hey, yes, yeah. I've, I've made that ref- I made that joke enough times now, but I'm actually convinced that the person who wrote Banana Fish originally must have seen the Warriors. Although someone will probably point out to me now that it was out after Fish because I can't remember the exact year. But anyway, whatever influenced the Warriors, maybe I don't know. It maybe I can't maybe, say it. maybe it's a, a, a calculus situation. You know what I mean? Uh, two two people without knowledge of, of one another, both invent calculus at the same time, or maybe slightly different times, but around the same time in different places. Maybe that's the For sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, they're, uh, they're, you know, on route to Coney Island, and, of course, uh, Ash eventually does catch up to Arthur. Arthur's like, well, you've got me. Go on. Blow me the fuck away. And Ash, sportingly as he is... Uh, Ah, uh, Mirrors explained that there were scenes in the manga that established them looking for him, and then they, well, didn't show that, so. Yeah, but, well, like, it's I mean, I guess, I guess, like, you know, if you have people doing their job monitoring activity uh, of the subway systems, it probably would not have been, it wouldn't have taken too much to see that there was something amiss on this line that's meant to be shut down. Uh, boss, w- boss, what, 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 why is there, why is there a train going to the uh, uh, closed uh, platform at this time of night? Shut up! I don't pay you to talk. Go to sleep. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but yeah, Ash being very sportsman-like, you know, drops the, his guns to the side and says, "Right, we're gonna have this fucking fight that you walks away from." Uh, my reaction to this initially was, "No, just fucking shoot him." He clearly doesn't want to play by the rules. Why? What do you have to lose by doing this? Just, again, another problem I have with this episode is that unfortunately Ash decides to be very, you know, sportsman-like to Arthur when there's nothing riding on him doing that because Arthur has violated the rules. You know, they get, they laid it down. As far as I'm concerned, he should have plugged in full of lead there and then and tossed him out the, the door. Yeah, I have a lot of, like, I have a lot of thoughts that I want to try to untangle about this scene. Mm-hmm. When we, when we um, are are into our talking points, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, like it it didn't end up sitting well with me. I wanted the this the payoff for this to be a lot more satisfying than it ended up being. I have I have a theory on why that is Maybe actually this is comes by to design think. or whatever. But I have I a theory on why that is, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um. So yeah, end of the line. Uh, by the way, uh, while this is happening, AG has actually been picked up by the flunkies again, who are now, I believe, going to take him to Ash. Um, they decide, fuck it, we'll take you there. They know what's going down. 
I do have to wonder though, actually, comes speak, although I get it. Anymore. He has a right this to is... know. <laughs> Maybe this is me not paying attention. If I'm not, then I confess that's the case. But how did they know they had relocated to Coney Island? Because they knew where the duel was initially. It was on the news? I don't know. Doesn't it ultimately doesn't matter. I'm not really that fussed by it. It's just something that just yeah, occurs. I don't I don't remember, but like as as much <laughs> as much as we like to joke about small details, um it probably you know, it ultimately doesn't matter too much to who can, yeah. effectiveness. <laughs> I may, I don't know. Maybe maybe you know they just thought they'd go there for a Pokemon Go gym for all the miles. Like we're on the it's on the way, why not? Look, I'm gonna go get I'm gonna go get me a Mew. Why not? Look at all these why people not? standing here. Surely this is like a, a Pokestop. Let's go over there. Absolutely. <laughs> a it's a knife fight. Oh, it's Ash. What a lucky coincidence. Ah, uh, there we go. Mirror Mirror explained it was on the news. So there we go. I I just missed that. See, this is oh, why I'm glad that we have this is why I'm glad that, you know, I have someone around, uh, people around who, like, you know, know what they're talking about, as opposed to me running his mouth. All right, so the fight that we've seen the OP actually now does kick off, and Ash is at a disadvantage because he has actually still been, you know, been shot in the arm. Uh, so the fight is actually pretty good. I rather liked how it played out visually. I thought it was quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, none uh, of my beliefs are with, are with that. Yeah, AG uh, arrives, yells out Ash's name, and the moment he did that, I was just like, why... Why? Why? You, you absolute clown, because you, he's busy. Like, you shouldn't be yelling his name. Like, I seriously get the impression that, a, like, if Ash was on the toilet, AG would barge in like, Ash, I need your help! Like, fuck's sake. So, of course, that distraction means that, you know, Arthur gets a blow on him, gets to, gets to cut him up. But, you know, the fight progresses, and eventually Ash does overpower him and cuts Arthur up real fucking good. Stabs him either. Cuts his uh, neck open. So he is... I want to say he's dead, but the cynic in me says no, because we don't get that explicitly objectively confirmed on screen. We just see him fall, go splat. And if there's one thing I know about Arthur is that he's... Well, he's a stubborn bastard, but that's all he's really got going for him. Honest, like, 90-10 odds, he's dead. So we'll go with that. We'll just say he How is. How can he live? He, he, I mean, it was How can mortal, people materialize out of subways? It was a like, Mortal Kombat 2 style fatality. Just like <laughs> the blood spray from Arthur as the knife got pulled out of him in like an like arc. It was uh, <laughs> it was picturesque. That was It was picturesque. He, I was, was I was happy to see that. <laughs> if he lived after after that like elaborately filmed I, I, was, I was I was uh, this like, yeah, that'll do. Finally, it was like the tide's turning in. It was inevitable. Glad we fucking got to see it. Unfortunately, however, because this is also technically kind of Grand Theft Auto-esque, wanted levels cranked up to max, all the cops turn up. Every single cop everywhere. And everyone gets arrested, save for um, Ash's flunkies who managed to slip away. Um, And that's pretty much the episode. Ash, like, collapses because of all the blood loss and strain he's been under. Um... That's it, pretty much. Yeah, Arthur is Arthur is done. Uh, so, I, I I said before like that I weren't entirely sure he's dead, but I'm going to take that back. He definitely is because his narrative purpose is exhausted at this point. We still have other antagonists apart from Galzine. There, we of course have you know Dark Side of the Moon himself, Lot Young, floating around somewhere. Who, yeah, yeah. totally absent this episode. Yeah, uh, we've got um, Suling as well. He's around, uh, and of course we've got you know final boss. 
disc four final boss Golzine himself. So, but but in insofar as Arthur's purpose goes, he's done. He's spent. Having him back at this point would be a waste anyway. So, I'm not going to worry about his return. Good riddance to bad rubbish anyway. Uh, so yeah, that was episode thirteen: the snows of Kilimanjaro. All right, who wants to talk talking points? Well, before we do that, mm-hmm. we're gonna have to take a break. Da, 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 da. Sorry, folks, uh, I need to step away for a few moments, but we will be back, and uh, yeah, to get to our in-depth discussion of the nitty-gritty this episode. So, yeah, BRB. So we'll be back on track shortly. No, no. Ah. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not really. Fuck that. <laughs>
everyone all right so let us get into the talking points by episode 13 do you want to go first talk or shall i well i want to do the sounder first talking points now we're okay to begin um do you want me to start speaking fire or do you want me to, like no i can go first because um I feel like you've done the most of the talking, so I'll give you I'll give you a break. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll. Well, <laughs> just you know, we've we've talked uh, a lot about, um, well, maybe not a lot about, but I think we both feel like that the scene in the middle of the episode, the flashback scene, the scene which you know Aj's thinking about things in his mm-hmm. room at night, is the best part of the episode is certainly, yes. I feel like, the most powerful part. And, Easily. Uh, so there's a few thoughts I have about this scene. Uh, the first one, uh, the the least kind of uh, deep, dark, and or philosophical uh, is that, you know, during the flashback Eiji has, he's, Ash is saying, uh, hey, there's this Ernest Hemingway novel, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Here's what happens. Here's how I feel like uh, sort of that story sees me. You know, here's here's how I feel like a character in that story or that that story speaks to me. And in certain circumstances, right, I can see people say like taking this to task. Like a lot. Of, so I, I just want to talk about like media that's referential to other media <laughs> because so anime in particular as a medium uh gets a lot of stick for this for particularly being self-referential um and saying well there's all kinds of anime that reference other anime because anime creators are in this bubble where they're big fans and only watch this kind of anime and so you also have to be a fan and it's kind of alienating if you're not a fan and on and on and you know we use phrases in other contexts besides anime as well talking about things being on the nose and in a certain sort of way 
I could see someone saying, well, gosh, this reference is not only on the nose, but they take great pains to point out to you. Here's how the snows of Kilimanjaro relates to this story, mm-hmm. this character in this episode. Yeah. It's all, I can understand where that comes from, but I think I, I just wanted to make the point that here in this case, uh, I'm completely fine with it <laughs> because first of all, it is anime that, and it's an adaptation. So it's not an anime original. It's a, it's a very old property as well coming from a time before a lot of people were accusing the anime industry of being so you know circularly self-referential in its material this Mm -hmm. is like a manga referencing an older book and quite frankly like a lot of people that uh have see this episode of anime or read this manga there's probably a good chance they haven't read The Snows of Kilimanjaro and know what it's about. I said, yeah, got me there. Yeah, I mean, I consider myself well-read, but no, I, I, that's, I've read other Hemingway. You know, I've read A Farewell to Arms. I've read Old Man in the Sea. Uh, Man, does that, does, that mean you, does that mean, like, you know, that, like, if Banana Fish were a video game, you'd get an achievement for having read all the books? <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is that. This is totally that. Um, read every piece of paper. Read, read, read all the Street Fighter combos and gone home achievement unlocked um did you get a trophy for that for reading everything and gone home there was a lot to read in that game i feel like you probably should have anyway um boy i was totally like completely fine with it like this kind of reference to something very old um i i think is is cool and good and can can make you want to seek out the other material because mm. i mean it certainly piqued my interest i feel like yeah goodness well that's an interesting sort of tale like i wonder what what questions mm. hemingway himself raises about this and so i think sure. there there are there's ways to do reference in in media and i know the timeliness of the reference can have a lot to can, can bring a lot to the table in terms of like how you do it you know if you're referencing popular culture versus or like timely culture versus um you know classic novel like it just kind of can dictate like the rules and what what's acceptable to do and what makes sense so i I thought that was fine here and it just got me thinking like about referential media because like i said anime is very referential and yeah it it made me want to like kind of analyze more deeply how different anime do it especially when it comes to referencing other media hmm. i hear for me i think firstly the idea you know of an all or nothing you know is referential because it's anime like that's rubbish it's a case-by-case basis as it is with everything like christ you know by that logic all anime is you know tentacle shit because that's the perception that people have even though that's patently false um for me, when it comes to references like this, uh, I think there are two criteria that it needs to meet in order to be used well. The first of which is, if you don't get the reference because you've not read it or seen it, the show should still work, regardless of So, yes, this does give us an insight into how Ash feels about his potential future. But we've had a lot of insight prior to this play into his character that wasn't dependent on literary references. So, if you don't know about the social genre, A, firstly, explains it, of course, but B, it's not entirely necessary to understand his character. It's another puzzle piece that we get given. It's just one that unfortunately comes through the lens of fiction. But 
again, we've got explanation for um, And two, which ties into that, is that it's person to his character. So he's not bringing this up to look smart. He brings yeah. this up because yeah. it's relevant to who he is, and he's obviously thought about it. Like, you know, he's identified with I can speak to books I have on my shelf just over it off camera there, some of which I very strongly identify with. I mean, I've been reading Land of the Lustrous the manga recently, and there's a particular thing in Volume 7 that's just like, well, that's me to a T. I get that entirely. I, I felt that way. So I don't think it's unreasonable in this scenario for it to happen. But I would absolutely agree with people who would look at an individual work and say, this is just literally a guy quoting shit for no good reason. Like, if you had, like, let's say, let's say, you know, what, harem anime in which the guy constantly quotes Salinger for no reason other than because he's a smartass, I would probably find that incredibly gracing very quickly. Yeah, yeah, you've reminded me. What show is it in? I'm sh- I was thinking of that. I was like, I'm sure I've heard that before, but I thought I'd make a more generic example. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, this is not a harem anime, but there there is a, there's an anime from around the turn of the millennium called Stelvia of the Universe. And it's just, it's basically like Harry Potter only instead of becoming witches or wizards, like you are becoming a space pilot. Um, And there is a... Oh, it's the the saucy helmet then. That's right. You put it on (laughs) and it speaks to you. Right, the sorting helmet. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you want my if you want my hot quick take on Harry Potter, generally speaking, it's crap. Oh. Just five throw that out there. Well, I mean, hey, it like, certainly hasn't hasn't aged uh, especially well, and then it wasn't good at the time it was released. To be quite honest, I'm going to be oh. blunt with you here. Well, when I say that, there were bits that were good, specifically not to do with any of the main characters or specifically anyone under the age of eighteen. Right. All of the all of the young characters it was shite. <laughs> but anyway, that's a discussion for a different time. The yeah, well the the reason I bring up Stelvia is just because there's a character in it that always quotes Shakespeare. She just Yeah you know, and that's her sort of that's her checkbox character trait, because we don't really get to spend a lot of time with her. So she her we, we know that she's very sort of like somber, always like looking rather dour and down and has a <laughs> has a voice that's very you know, I'm I'm coming from a dark place. So say it's Shakespeare, and like, yeah, it's, yeah. he's always quoting Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, and besides, if you want to start explaining the anime is that way, there's tons of Western media that does that as well. Best Star Trek movie ever made, Wrath of Khan. Like, literally, one of the shots of it is of Chekhov looking at a list of books that Khan has read, including Paradise Lost and Moby Dick, which, of course, are the very on the nose. You know, oh, it's vengeance. Vengeance is the thing going on here. But that's fine. That works in the actual context of the thing. It's on a case-by-case basis. You can't paint everything with the same brush just because some stuff has been, you know, self-referential in a way that's honestly quite draining. Fuck's sake, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really hate generalizations like that. They annoy me. Um, right. All right. I'll actually know... I'm going to actually segue from what you said and talk about my interpretation of the Kilimanjaro flashback. So just to recount, and if I am misrepresenting or misremembering, please, of course, correct me on this. Ash offers two interpretations of what happened to the cougar. Uh, Not cougar. uh, Leopard, sorry. Glad I I managed to stop myself. Why did that just come? Do you remember the song from Home Alone 2? I don't remember Home Alone 2, period. (laughs) Come on. Uh, where 
I, uh, okay. So the two inter. God damn it! Oh, I, you've tickled me now that I thought of this cougar song from yeah. Home Alone Two. All right. So two interpretations of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, the cougar got lost going up there, or it was trying to leave and couldn't get away, um, and it died as a result. Was that? What Ash said, I just want to make this clear before I start talking about my interpretation that he may or may not realize, not because deli- he's in it, because, you know, sometimes you don't think six because you're in that snap. Uh-huh. What, that's what the cougar said. What not I, the cougar. Uh, leopard. <laughs> what I've got down is um, uh, that, you know, the leopard could have been searching for prey. Um, mm-hmm. The leopard could have been scaling the mountain for some, you know, sort of almost human reasons, I guess wanting to to conquer it uh or maybe it in its journey crossed some point of no return and couldn't find its way back to where it was supposed to be okay right third interpretation roll beyond this what if the leopard was brought there against its will here's the thing right that is that environment of course that kilimanjaro place the top of it is no place for any living thing really living things of course have their environments that they are designed to live in so imagine if that leopard was taken there as a pet, for example, dragged up there forcefully for whatever reason because people thought it would be fucking funny. Would that not be analogous to what's happened to Ash? He was someone who was clearly taken out of his natural environment against his will, you know, and left to wander this kind of like wasteland and try to get away from it, couldn't ultimately do so. Mm-hmm. I That's my interpretation of what might have happened instead and why it's actually analogous to his, his plight there. That he, you know through no fault of his own, unfortunately, ended up on said mountain, the mountain that is his current life, the wasteland that is his current life. Um, so that, to me, is the alternative interpretation I would offer. Other thing as well to think of, what happens when you get lost on a mountain? You usually need someone to guide you off. Right. Who's the guide? You know? This is, you know what, I'm going to make a Frank's reference here, would you believe it? Bear with me on this. No, no, no. Trust trust me on this. I've got a good reason for it. You might recall in Darling the Franks, there was The Beast and the Prince, the book that their own tale that they spun is kind of like an allegory for the future. A book that she ate. Yeah, it was delicious. She ate the book. So here's the thing, right, though. Instead of reading it, she ate it. Reader's Digest. But the point I'm making with that, (laughs) though, is that... Yeah, I made that joke again. Um, But the point I'm making with this is that... (laughs) Like, when you bring up a tale in a story, like I mentioned with Wrath of Khan, like, you know, Moby Dick and such like that, sometimes things play out allegorically to the actual story that you're referencing. Be it, you know, an actual work of fiction or an in-universe work of fiction. And sometimes you play against time, like in Franks, and probably what's going to happen here in Banana Fish. Just because Ash has foreseen, like, or, you know, emphasized with the plight of that leopard, felt that he was going the same way, doesn't mean that's going to be true. After all, the leopard died alone. But... Obviously, he's not alone anymore, is he? Because he has AG with him. So, I think it's an interesting look here about how people can associate with, like, you know, fiction. Um, how they can, you know, empathize with it, see themselves in it. Ultimately, you know, that the path that a, a work of fiction lays out for you and how you might, you know, link it to your own life, they're not set in stone. Life can go differently. And even when you, the way you see things happen and how they got there may be different. Ash obviously hasn't considered for a second that, you know, like in his two interpretations, that there are external forces that put him up there on this mountain, you know. Golzine in particular. He's literally been kept as a pet. So, 
I thought that was I, I thought that was a really interesting way to look at that. Sequence. Yeah, Ash doesn't really seem to think of himself as anything other than well, I was going to say as anything other than free. I don't know. I mean, he t- he clearly. I mean, he's racked with with guilt and pain from all his trauma, but he's never sort of like, look at what happened to me. Like I'm 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 stuck. You know, I'm in this horrible spiral. So maybe that's why, like, you know, because he feels strong and he feels in control of his life now, maybe that's why he kind of identifies with the, the leopard and sees the leopard and it d- doesn't consider that, like, oh, yeah, clearly someone flew the leopard up there in a helicopter and plopped it down. It's like, no, it's a fucking leopard. It's majestic. It, it's king of its domain. Like, if it's up there, it chose to be up there or it chose to at least start down the path. You know, if it, it's one thing if it crossed the point of no return. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess the leopard can't can't whine and cry about about it things being out of its own control. But what you just said is kind of the way the solution that Aji points out, right? Doesn't he basically say that human agency is the solution to this problem? Mm-hmm. I would argue uh, so. Hu- humans, you know, unlike leopards, humans have the ability to change their destiny. Mm-hmm. Correct. Which is that interesting. Does. Which is interesting, right? I mean. It dep- like I feel like that point is a lot more valid if the leopard if the leopard really did wander up there on its own because if the leopard was placed up there then it's hard for me to hear oh here you can change your destiny when well hey guess what the whole reason I'm up here on this mountain in the first place is because someone else changed my destiny I didn't want to be up here well, the thing is, that's that's just then you arriving at said mouse. It's not a question of what you do after it. Yeah, but if and why should you I, say I it's the way? But but if there's a tone setting of you not being in control, you know what I mean. There, if there's if this entire problem is framed and founded upon, hey, you know, your life is outside of your control, then it seems weird to say that the solution to the problem is take control <laughs> when the whole reason there's I think, a problem well, is because you're not I would, I would be, I would I wouldn't be so broad because let's be quite honest here, Ash's life has been outside of his control. Mm-hmm. That is the truth of it. Yeah. So for me, like, in this case it does make sense that, you know, that's the interpretation you could roll with because that's literally what's happened. It's just that he isn't factoring in the external forces. He's putting the blame what most of himself, even though I'd argue he has nothing to blame himself for. He's he's been caught, you know, in the worst kind of situation imaginable. So I think I understand where you're coming from broad terms, but specifically in this context, that I would argue is true. But how free is Ash really? I mean Well at this point. You know Well that that's a that's a very, very broad question. I mean, he's like, been chased he... so heavily by these other Mm -hmm. things around him you know what i mean well i guess i'm just saying that like well i mean it is broad but so is ag's solution i mean ag's Mm -hmm. solution to this leopard on kilimanjaro issue is hey humans can change their destiny humans can take control of their life and human agency like you can will yourself 
off the mountain. You don't have to die up there. Yeah. But it's like, I'll just, well, you know, what I'll... if, like, you know, <laughs> what if from birth, like, the leopard was raised in a snowy environment and, like, had all this Snow horrible leopard. shit happen to it and, like, grew to let, you yeah. know what I mean? So, like, Ash has been, is such a, per, like, um, I mean, he's his own person, but, like, he can't, like, you know, like, he's trying to tell Ag. Like, in some ways, what he's telling him is true. Like, he can't really, like, escape kind of who he is based on, like, this really tumultuous and violent way he's lived his life. Yeah. No, that, that's fair. Um, I think it's going to be, a, I mean, the, the idea of, you know, is Ash truly free is such a broad question. Like, is he even, like, you know, that's not even considering the idea of, you know, just captivity, but more like, is, you know, is he free to change who he is? I mean... I mentioned in chat, leopards, you know, the old adage can't change the spots. And that ties into the idea of, you know, the better two worlds thing. Like, can he be a regular person? Can he live a regular life after having the very decidedly irregular life he's had this thus far? We'll have to find out, of course. Um, but yeah, I do absolutely think that the Kilimanjaro rabbit was the shining spot in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah... I'll let you have your next talking point while I okay, wind up to, you know, start saying horrible things about the show that I otherwise do rather like. I'm sorry, folks. I, I only have to, I can only tell you as I see it, and I have to say, like, there were parts of this episode. Sorry. You've been booed by the way file again. All right, here's my next point. Next point. Okay. <clears throat> More Kilimanjaro talk. Uh... It's interesting in chat, you know, Trickster says that there is a primal drive to persevere apart from mere survival that can't be explained. Um, the will to live, right? An organism's self-preservation instincts. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that that's brought up because during this discussion that AG and Ash had in the past that is being thought of, by AG in this episode. Um, Ash talks about, uh, you know, like you said, his thoughts of death, right? And he says, for me, like he, gosh, he puts down this very fine line. Like he says that the thought of death was sweetly tempting to him, right? Which is quite a loaded thing to say. Like it, yeah. it you know, but at the toward the end of their talk, he reassures uh, Eiji and says, "You know, well, it's okay. I've thought about death, but I've never wished for it. Hmm. So, boy, it's tempted you, but you've never wished for it. Like, I wonder if you parse it out, like." if that's contradictory at all or like or may i what what is uh may i interject uh here yeah sure sure. time to get get a little personal folks uh that is not a contradiction because i will freely admit that i have felt that way at times um the way i would describe it is that it's something that i mean i actually saw someone about this and they said to me you know thought about it but you've not actually taken steps to do it can you know there's a difference between thinking about something and then actually acting to make it so i don't think it's contradiction all i think i can tell you from first-hand experience that contradictory or no i have felt that way 
And I if I if I can think that way, I wouldn't presume, therefore, you know, other people in their own roots could not have felt similarly. Yeah, so it so, would be the the difference between thinking on the one hand, oh, if this outcome, my death were to happen, that'd be fine, versus okay, this is something I'm actively going to to take mm. steps to fulfill. Yeah. Okay. I see. So, yeah, it's very passive versus active. But, yeah, no, but, and I can see how, like, if you are still, if you were, it, it would still be concerning it being a, a temptation. Um, it's not, yeah, it's certainly not something that anyone should ever have to be a deliberate for or just because it pops into your head one day unbidden like someone walking through the front door. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It should always be a concern, as it is here with Ash. Yeah, I mean, it. this this whole scene just, just got me thinking about David Foster Wallace's really famous um, sort of, uh, what do you even call it? It's not a speech, because the character's not speaking, but... Uh, Essay? No, but it's, it's just part of a... It's part of Infinite Jest. It's just what a character in Infinite Jest is thinking... I think when thinking about so it's a, a character who's had suicidal in a monologue, maybe inner monologue, but just sort of their thoughts and like so yeah, like Ash is so at the way Ash is framing it right is that like you know it's something that I can sort of that I actively will decide that I can control going from temptation to wish, right? I've never wished for it. So, like, it, it feels like to me, maybe, it, again, maybe I'm, like, over-reading the situation. But he's, that Ash is sort of saying, like, you know, I've never transitioned from this one place to the other, and, you know, and then that's down to me, Ash, and my kind of stance on it or my willpower. It's just not a thing that I've pursued. But, like, Wallace, or Foster Wallace, like, talks about, talks about it really, really differently. Talks about it, like, less, less as, like, a, a sort of path that you choose to walk down. And, like, sort of after you sort of weigh the debits and credits of life, and then you're thinking, oh, life, like, mm it just doesn't seem to to add up as a good thing. Like, I think I'm going to go this way. Like he talks about it as, um, as people, people gaining a, people having a fear of living. That's greater than a fear of falling. Um, you know, because it's like, well, like, well, why do people jump? Right. Um, it's like, and he says, like, it's because that they feel the heat of the flames behind them. And that fire, of course, is life. And that fear, the fear of that is much greater than the fear of falling. And so just the way he frames it makes it seem like that it is something that's much, much less in someone's control. That that it's not like... um I think you know what I mean, and, but whereas I feel like Ash, uh, <laughs> it, it feels like that he feels like that that's entirely 
under under his own power. Whereas, well, yeah. well, um, I'll firstly just address the point by saying, like, I don't disagree with um, that gentleman's description or or his interpretation of it. I think it's one of those things that's going to vary very differently between people, uh, people who've lived those experiences. I personally would describe it as feeling like drowning. And then paradoxically, you want to come for air, even though the outcome is the exact opposite, of course. Um, speaking to Ash specifically, bear in mind that for much of his life, despite arguably having a lot of control and agency, like running a gang, for example, he also really hasn't. He hasn't had the basic agency or the basic liberties that a lot of people have. You know, if he wants to say to Golzine one day, I'm done, I'm leaving, well, obviously Golzine's not going to let him. You know, he literally is a slave. He's a pet. So maybe the interpretation here is more that because he feels he can control it, it's one of the few things he does have genuine control over. That he could, you know, call it a quits, whatever he so chooses. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, normally, you know, for most people, having that choice, which is a choice everyone has, whether or not they even think about it, like, they don't think about it, so it's not a thing they consider. But when you have so little choice in your life, so little true choice... The ones that you do have left suddenly have more weight. So I think that maybe might be more what he's thinking about there, that, you know, like, I have so little ability to choose anything, like, I at least treasure the fact that I can choose this. And if I have to exercise it to determine how I go, as opposed to, you know, how I, you know, get used and discarded by Golzine eventually, then I will. Which I think is perfectly admirable. Like, yeah. I, can't, I can't truly, of course, ever say that I would do it in Ash's shoes, but I can certainly understand from his side things like, you know, like he literally had one chance one day just to like go out guns blazing in Golzine's mansion and maybe not even kill the old fucker, but at least he got that act <laughs> of defiance in, you know, right. before he did end up getting blown away. I think that would still be admirable. Usile, but admirable because he determined the time of which he went and the manner in which he went. It wasn't because Golzine one day said, right, well, fuck it, I'm bored I'm going to go find a brunette kid instead. Bang, done. Puts him down like a dog. I can see that happening. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the ability to choose the manner in which you go, when you're in that scenario, um, you know, where you are being object- subjected to that, I think is... I think that's entirely understandable. Yeah, I mean, you can you can find... You can find meaning in even horrible situations. You mm-hmm. know, like you say, like, um, the effectiveness of your choices is oftentimes so much less it weighs so much less uh than you actually deciding and you making the choices mm-hmm. you know yeah what what you've chosen less important than that you choose and that you stand and and that is sort of the meaning imbuing aspect of it um yeah for sure uh so yeah no i mean I don't bring this up, but like to, I, I'm not trying to like, um, slag off the show or Ash. Oh no, 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 no! I don't believe. Okay. Yeah, no, I got. I, it just got me thinking. I more than anything, it got me feeling a deep sense of like just empathy and and pain for people that that have those feelings. You know, however, whether whether or not they are thinking that their life sucks so bad you know if even if they were dead it'd be fine or if they're actively feeling the drowning or actively feeling that fear greater than a fear of falling like it you know it just uh it breaks my heart like i i 
for people suffering in those situations like i just i just i don't know they i wish they this sounds so fucking dumb but i just wish they had someone to like just grab them and hug them like and you mean like an agent yeah exactly because i mean because it just must feel so lonely yeah uh all right so okay. next talking point is sign for me so you know bring bring the mood up or down depending on your perspective following that discussion uh, not that i regret having it of course by talking about well let's talk about arthur unfortunately the sock puppet that is the most useless motherfucker who ever breathed oxygen in the banana fish universe all right i'm gonna come out and say it in the end while i did enjoy arthur getting his dues he was not a good rival. He was a bit shit. And when I say that, I don't mean in terms of his effectiveness as a character. He could have failed throughout and still been the effective. I'm saying that I don't think overall in the wider scope of the story he held a candle to any of the other major antagonists uh, in terms of his relationship with that. Yeah, like, you know, constantly was busting Ash's balls and all that. But Ash only ever viewed him as like a roadblock or as a hump. Oh, there's no personal investment in hating Arthur. Like, not that I saw or, or interpreted. Arthur's effectiveness was also, I mean, I'd said, you know, it wasn't necessarily like the case, but because there was no personal antagonism between two, nothing that really tied them together, you know, the ties that bind us between these two rivals, what I had to fall back on them was just that he would be a compelling, intense threat. And no, absolutely not. The only time he ever felt like that he was ever in control or in charge was when Ash was handed to him on a platter in the scenes in which, you know, we had Charter's death, when he was literally at his mercy. At every other point, the show goes out of its way to make him look useless. It's the point where I made a running joke of it. And here's the thing, right? I don't mind making a running joke of it because I really enjoyed it. I have a, I'm not going to, you know, pretend I didn't, you know, drink up that schadenfreude of seeing him get his dues over and over and having him continually dumped. So I thought it was great. But I actually think it does the show a disservice in the end, to be quite honest. Mm. I can see that. I think that, I mean, let me talk about the train scene very briefly. We talked about how this was a bit comical and all that. Oh, but here's the thing, right? I, oh, um, God, I'm sorry. Oh, I just, can I, uh, just what you're saying makes me think of, and I, I promise, I promise this has to do with what you're saying. Uh, no, I've, I've done so many weird tangents throughout the course of Warrior Death Show that you're entitled to spend a few of your own, mate. The, what you're saying makes me think of the sort of problem that uh, major American wrestling promotion, WWE, has with writing bad guy characters, or heels, as they say in the biz. Um, in the biz. In the biz. Um, so, Arthur, if this is Banana Fish were wrestling, Arthur would be pretty standard cowardly heel that uh, can only win by cheating, by by uh, having some kind of advantage, you know, whether it's like using a foreign object or uh, having another person interfere in the match um, against the good guy or baby face, again, as we say in the biz. Uh, and those kind of heel characters like their act can wear thin after a while and it's hard for, 
it, for me personally as a fan when they are the kind of top bad guys because when you see a wrestling show you want to see decisively in my opinion like the ultimate kind of goal is to see decisively who's better between the participants in the match and whenever there's like shitty finishes like indecisive whenever someone's winning by cheap means and cheating um it just doesn't feel satisfying and arthur you never felt that he could beat ash or best ash um on if things were on equal terms you, you well you know what's you, so, like, you know you know what's cheating. funny <laughs> you know what's funny about that even when he's not cheating that's still in this episode, Ash gets shot through the arm, which oh, yeah. there's a fact in their late night fight. He's that was completely, at a disadvantage. Oh, yeah, but that's the thing. Like that was not something that Arthur intended to happen. I mean, like if anyone says to me Arthur deliberately let his men get slaughtered just so he could soften him up so he could have a fight with him, I wouldn't buy that for a moment. He's not that smart. But even when, even when he's not doing that, it still puts Ash at a disadvantage. And this is the thing. Like I don't know if this is the fault of Ash just being too good or Arthur being too bad or a combination thereof. But I can only speak to my feelings on this, and when the train scene was happening, which Ash was inexplicably mowing his way through all of those guys with barely any trouble, I didn't feel any tension for what was going to happen. I didn't feel any tension about the coming fight between him and Arthur. Mm-hmm. It should have felt like... I mean, the, the metaphor, the visual metaphor, is clear as crystal. It's the end of the line when they go off that train. It's so on the nose, but if it fits, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But I didn't feel... Like, this was ever in doubt. I mean, okay, you can always speak to the fact that, yes, of course, Ash is going to win the fight. Although, that being said, imagine an alternate version of Banana Fish where he dies here and Eiji's the one who has to take over his role as gang leader. What a thing that would have fucking been. Holy shit. Man. Okay, anyway, I'm not going to think about that. <laughs> like, but, like, I didn't... Like, even when you know that's going to happen, because, I mean... You know how all these things go in movies. We're all savvy enough to understand that. You should at least still feel an air of tension about it. And I didn't. I was laughing at the fight, at the gunfight in the train scene. And I don't get the impression I should have been. Um, but the problem is, is that there's also no real personal interplay. Like, to me, the fight between, like, the, the long-standing rivalry between um, Ash and Arthur only ever really felt to me like fucking Red and Gary Oak. That's the level at which this reached. Ah. And, and the thing is, right, there's plenty of reason why Ash would have to hate Arthur that he never, I don't think to my memory, voices, even though I can see it happening, which is the fact that Arthur has the freedom that he does not. He is Golzine's, you know, underling, much as Ash is. But Arthur, you know, firstly, isn't, you know, uses a fuck doll, at least not to my knowledge. So there's that. Like, there's plenty of reason, but, you know, for that, you know, resentment to exist on Ash's side. As for Arthur, I mean, obviously, you know, Ash is great, everything and all that, that's fine. But it never felt that strong to me. Like, we didn't get enough emotion or anger out of him at the end. Like she said, I've always hated you from my son. Like, that's it? Mm. No screaming or shouting? Yeah, right. It, doesn't, it, it didn't really work for me, to be honest, Arthur as a character. It, I mean, he works when I took him ironically and not really seriously, but I also don't think that that was the work's intent. Hello. I'm so sorry about that extended break, everybody. Oh, are you are you here, Shadon? 
I'm here, yes. There you go. Um, hey. Hello. We, 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 we just fight off an invasion by lizard people. How many, how many, how many lizard men did you kill, Doc? So, was so it... many lizard men, so oh. many. No, I, no, I just there was a. Hey, I still worry about. <laughs> there was a very a serious conversation with a with a colleague that was taking place, and uh, on how to dispose of the lizard men bodies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we chose <laughs> uh, a ceremonial cremation for each one. No, it just kind of went Me... places, and yeah, I'm sorry about about that. Uh, everybody. Ah, shy up, don't worry about me. Do not worry. We've been keeping the fire warm by talking you and ice with the chat for a bit, and also Very discussing good. some various bits. Alright, uh, I'll quickly just tail off on the point I was making about half, which is that, speaking for myself here, I don't think he was fleshed out enough, either in terms of his personal rivalry. I mean, I understood why he hated Ash, like he's obviously very jealous, but I wanted him to articulate it. Not even necessarily to anyone else, just to himself. I mean, we had that scene to start this episode where he was obviously thinking and looking at his things. But that was an event that happened when he already didn't like him. Like, you know, I want some more concrete terms here. It didn't need to be completely and utterly, you know, like laid out bare bones in like a giant dissertation. Like bullet points, PowerPoint, everything as to why he hated him. But I wanted more than what we got. It felt insufficient to me. That being said, I'm also very grateful he's not the main antagonist. And that's why I said before that his narrative purpose is now served. He's done. So now we've got, of course, have to deal with the other, more interesting characters who will be saved for the finale and such, which I'm still very much looking forward to. Um, yes. So, uh, Arthur, I have complicated feelings about Arthur. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like I was saying, like, he's, like, I, I wish, I wish it could have felt that he that that he that he could have at least stood a chance, somewhat of a chance against Ash mm-hmm. on Fairfoot. Yeah. You know, that yeah. he was like the scene on the train, right, in which Ash is trapped in the middle car. Instead of just going and shooting Ash himself, like Ash is a fucking sitting duck. He's totally trapped. He's like shoving people out the door. You do it. You do it. You do it. And like, you know, I know he's like dastardly uh, and a fucking dick and everything. But I don't know. Maybe you just maybe wanna, he was don't going you to show. Don't you want to gain the respect of your guys at a certain point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe he was just going easy because he obviously didn't use Zalado on him. So there's that. So how did you feel about? Let's talk more. Hang on. Where is the button? Okay, there's my mouse. Next point. Let's let's. Got base, we got Mesa Pole as well. Was Arthur a well-written villain, or was he just genuinely fucking useless? We should. <laughs> yeah, right. We should. We should. Uh, yeah, I'll make that. But how did you? So you talked about like Ash's um. Kind of. Nobility or whatever. His his. Uh, his deal at the end when he says, no, I'm oh, not, not going to put a bullet in your brain. We're going to have this fucking duel mm-hmm. honorably or whatever. Like, boy, that just felt so fucking strange. It was honestly perfunctory to me. It, like, here's the thing, right? This is now the 13th episode of the show. So establishing that Ash, you know, has good sensibilities, 
kind of sense of honor and ethics and code or whatever, we already know. We don't need to have that reinforced anymore. Furthermore, furthermore, um, there's nothing riding on him doing that. No one is like, I don't, I can't imagine Kane, for example, going like, well, after all that shit, you still shouldn't have shot him dead at the end. Like, no, I can't fathom that happening from anyone. If he had just blown Arthur away at the end then, and everyone was like, well, fair enough. He didn't play fair. No reason for you. Seuss do the same. So I don't know what the narrative function of of Ash, you know, going easy on him serves. Yeah. Because it's either redundant, because it tells us what we already know about him, or B, it's just there more so the action scene, which is fine and all that. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. And maybe, you know, you can make the argument that just having him shoot him dead would be unsatisfying. It's like, oh, well, that's it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but what happened yeah. to all the what happened to all the pent up, like Arthur? I'm gonna fucking kill you for making me kill shorter. Like, actually, that's where, a very good point. Where that's where so... is this like Arthur? I I'm gonna turn this into a teachable moment. This is this is why this this is why <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head there for me. This is why this doesn't feel like as good a rival as it could do because it's not nearly personal enough despite the fact that there's more enough reasoning on both sides for it to be personal, especially in events that have happened since then. Shorter's name is not even mentioned. That's kind of a baffling and glaring omission to me, that that's not some... Holy shit, that's a I problem. I mean, Eiji's the only one that talks about it. In the flashback, you know, it's like, why are you so... Like, I wish I knew what you were having nightmares yeah. about. How, why is... Yeah. yeah. Why is... What? I mean, uh, Trickster's just brought up the Doctor. And the thing is, when Ash killed the Doctor, he was still trying to shoot him dead after he ran out of ammo. Yeah, where's that gone? We discussed this in the, one the previous episodes. episodes. We, we discussed this in one of the previous episodes where you're like, obviously he wanted to do more harm to him, but couldn't. And obviously whatever harm he did wouldn't be enough. With Arthur, he's just like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I mean, that. it's like, it's like you felt some kind of guilt whenever, like, the whole reason Arthur got his fingers fucked up is because he was a coward in the first place. Like, I, I thought... Think of it, I, didn't Ash execute that guy in the back alley who was unarmed anyway? So if you're going to tell me you wouldn't do well, that, yeah. he has done that? He also executed someone on the train. That was some fucking heartless shit. And now we're supposed to think, like... I mean, I know he's got the dual nature, right? Of, like, of the... the uh the sort of fragile boy, like hidden beneath the layer, these layers that built up into like a, like a, a wounded tiger. They say, you know, a devil, but like, man, it's just tough because like, there's this quivering boy trying to pick up his Uzi and like Ash just shoots him in the head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then he's like, Arthur, it's time we settled this fair and square because you need to like, I, I felt like it was for Arthur. Like he was doing it for Arthur. Why? Why? What, is, what does Ash have to gain? He made he made him. Sh- he gave him the gun that he used to shoot shot dead. As far as I'm concerned, it would have actually the only reason he shouldn't have shot him was so he could have thrown him off the train and have him just become a skid mark. Like, and and so K- Miss Kr brings up the pre-series stuff with Arthur, and so I was thinking the whole time, like, because I, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like that visually they've depicted ash having some guilt for what he's done to arthur but we see it happen in the flashback and arthur completely deserved it arthur tried to kill him like from behind after losing fair and square to him 
And so then Ash fucked his fingers up to protect himself. Like, I I don't know. I just, yeah, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel May great. I... And it made the whole, like, like why, like why would Ash systematically march through all of Arthur's men, killing them without off you know without any sort of you know you know arthur Arthur here yeah take take this weapon and let's have a fair fight (laughs) you know blue seas just brought up a point in fiction when you want to make a character look great there are two ways you can do this the first is that you genuinely make the character competent but hopefully not hyper competent the problem is that when you do that and you do that too much when the character is so good you can't actually really then start, you know, making them any better than that point. Like, you get diminishing returns on it. How then do you compensate for that? You make other people look worse. So, <laughs> Lucy is entirely on the nose there with assessing that Arthur is bad because he, not because he, of any genuine character reason, but because it makes Ash look better, which is probably shame. There's one other thing I want to segue onto here, which is to talk Are, about camera... Oh, sorry. Just... As far as him as an effective villain, I mean, no. <laughs> well, this this is something that you know y- you learn, you know, pretty pretty young if you read a lot of fiction. I mean, I I remember, my, I think my first encounter with this is was Magneto from X Men when I was reading those comics mm-hmm. as a kid. Like the best villains, welcome always, to die. <laughs> the best villains always kind of have a point, right? Yeah, it, maybe not all the way, but a little bit. But like, Arthur... you think you should understand their logic and their reasoning for it. You should, you yeah. should like, you, you say I, I understand, but I do not agree. That's the that's the dividing line there. You can see how it makes sense then. I mean, in Magneto's case, the example he brought, of course he would think that way that you know the mutants going to be wiped out because guess what? He was born Jewish and he saw his parents taken to the fucking Nazi concentration camp. Of course, that's burned into his memory and he sees the analogy between them. And this is what I was saying before about Arthur. He has his reasons, but they weren't ever articulated with enough emotion or personal venom to me to truly yeah. make me buy into it. Yeah, It wasn't enough. It was insufficient. Yeah, it, it never, so often, it never rose above, like, I hate you and I'm jealous of your spot. Like, occasionally it would get to, like, near the end, I think, it actually articulated, you know, I don't, I, the reason that I hate you is because you are gifted and you never have to work for anything that you got and you don't want it you, or you're ambivalent about it. And I resent you for that because you I, know, I've, I've, worked, that I would... <laughs> I've worked so hard for everything and I, but there's so much I can't attain because I don't have your natural talent. And there, then, and that kind of resentment, um, and that—I don't know—I just—I don't feel like that was capitalized on enough in the story. We weren't really shown enough of it either, to be honest. I mean, not certainly not this moment. And on top of that, I'm sorry, to, very sorry to say, Arthur, but for all that you might want to say that Ash gets stuff laid hand on feet for him, uh, there is a caveat to that—a very significant one—that you, you fine finger discounting bastard, don't have to suffer. So uh, shut your mouth. Honestly, he never had to sacrifice anything. Please, <laughs> like, please. What a what a, I mean, Woo. to be fair, Arthur at least is consistent even in this final moments of being a complete stone dead idiot. 
Um, there is one thing I very quickly want to segue on as well, which is talking about the train scene and why else did. Um, and I'm going to tie this to the Kilimanjaro bit. So, okay, we've had a running theme throughout the show now of the idea of Ash being an animal, being described as one both as a lynx and all that, you know, pet, but also the idea of, you know, him going feral because of everything that happens, him, you know, him going on those killing sprees. And here's the thing. They were this close to turning the train car comedy, you know, naked gun shit into something that actually gelled with the idea of him being an animal. Because recall the stuff that happened in the mansion when he tried, when he killed the doctor when he was portrayed against fire, you know, literally burning in it, you know, being forced into something cruel and twisted. There's nothing here, direction-wise, camera-wise, colour-wise, sound-wise, with what happens with the car, the, the fight scenes in the train that help reinforce that, even though if they had done it, it would have gelled perfectly with the, the whole leopard thing, you know, searching for prey, because he's literally going down a car, he's going in one direction to it. Like, you could have done it with that. You could have... I just... Man. That whole thing was so frustrating. It, it was so cool. It could have been changed to be great. But that, I think, is one of the few instances, rare instances even, I would say this show's actually been uninspired in its direction and its and the way it looks and the way it, you know, uses camera and such. Honestly, I... Eh. Eh. Yeah. I like this show. I really do, but at the same time, this episode is probably the worst one I've seen thus far of the lot. But that being said, it also comes with a, with a you know a reassurance that we're not going to have to deal with Arthur anymore. So we'll now get back onto the good stuff. Give me more little young. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was thinking like this this episode, maybe maybe more than even the last time this happened, sort of showed me what I really like about this show, and that is the interpersonal character Drama, stuff yeah. and. But but the the reason that it feels unique, though, is because it's built on top of this foundation of crime and violence. Mm. So you gotta have that. And and don't get me wrong, like I I like that stuff. I even you know on a certain sort of visceral level enjoyed the Nathan Drake type stuff, <laughs> like uh, as it was presented. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I I may agree that it's one of the least good Banana Fish episodes, but by that criteria, it makes it still a, a pretty darn good half hour of television. Oh, for sure. And, I, and like I say, like even despite the fact it wasn't as effective as I would like, and in the end, I did realize, you know, in hindsight, that Arthur was, well, rubbish, narratively, mechanically. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't have a good laugh and didn't have a good, you know, time seeing him fail and seeing him, you know, put down in the end. That was cathartic. The payoff was good. My complaint is that it could have been so much better, especially when you consider, especially when you consider how good the other material is. The fact that, like, that's one of the things that often maddens me about shows. Like, if I have a show that's consistently terrible throughout, then I, you know, I actually somehow paradoxically get less annoyed at because at least I can come to expect that. And you have a moment slice where it's like, oh, I've seen so much better things here with like camera, direction, lighting, you know, an actual narrative. And this is just kind of, well, he's just going to gun down these fuckers down in, you know, train and it's fine. I'm like, okay, great. 
what, what ultimately does Ash killing all these people in the train accomplish other than addressing the fact that there were people on the trains? It tells us anything about his character. Does it reinforce the notions we've had before about him, you know, going wild, you know, becoming a mass murderer, becoming bloodthirsty? You could make the argument, perhaps, that, you know, that he doesn't react to anything, you know, while he's going this. But the thing is, the camera does not back that up. Whereas we had visual cues to show that in the instant of the mansion. There was no such thing this time around. It was very utilitarian. So, I don't know. Do you, do you not I, think it I, really... I really hate to come down the show like this, but I can only speak to how I feel on it. Do you not think that it reinforced the notion of Ash as sort of legendary gunman figure? No, because at the end of the day, there, I don't care how good a gunman you are, I don't care if you're a revolver or ocelot. He, he shouldn't have survived that. He shouldn't have survived <laughs> the scenario. Was, he was... There was a point where, like, um, and I know sometimes the animation isn't matching kind of real time, but it looks like Ash slid, I... slid into the middle of the aisle and shot someone and while he was like in the middle of the floor there was just so much time for him to get shot in the back of the head i know this is the thing is mirrors just made a good point actually like when you translate something from book or manga to tv you have to put a lot more definitive connective tissue in how scenes play out like if i for example were say to you know show let's say a frame of ash firing and then a shot like you know of several guys dead I have to then mentally interpret the passage of time and fill in the blanks myself. Exactly. And usually I'll probably do that in a way that feels so, so fitting for me. Like, you know, I'll imagine much detail as little detail as I wish. Yeah, whereas on screen... the pace of the events. Of yeah, the whereas on screen, that has to be dictated. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say you have to show every nitty-gritty detail. Wait. Uh, Emily is correct, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can I, believe me. I've been there. I have been there. Uh, that is so true. That is so true. It's not even That's good. funny. That's good. And not no. You know what? You know. I'm going to just follow up Emily's comment there by saying if that was the case that the train was coming in with all that Arthur's goons on it, uh, it would be ten minutes late or longer, and therefore like Arthur, like wait, I want to hold the fight. I want to postpone the fight just a little bit. He's like, why? No reason. Honestly, I swear, no reason. I, I, before I, we before we fight with knives, let us fight with riddles. Rock. <laughs> Solve this puzzle. <laughs> One, two, three, four. I declare a form war. Yep. Yeah, we have. And to... actually, Arthur can't do that. <laughs> he can't do that. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? So disrespectful. Oh fuck that guy! I don't care. Uh... Ah, I didn't mean that. <laughs> But sometimes, you know, great, great moments just happen. Anyway, that's pretty much everything I want to say on the episode as a whole, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I could keep talking about this for ages, but, you know, but I'd probably just keep repeating myself or kind of dancing around the same the same points. I, I am frustrated. I am a little frustrated because gosh this show was like it was just barreling along this path of like complete and then you, and then you might and then you might say it derailed a little it, bit right right Ch- changed change lanes uh change tracks but like i mean to be fair it's giving me some mixed signals god please stop uh 
<laughs> um, fuck, man, you derailed me. Uh, <laughs> it was it was just giving me what I want, right? And and enlarge basically like the the whole the whole way through was just like man this is great it's great it's great and i feel like here is for me the first kind of episode i've come away with really feeling like there was a big plot point that i just wasn't satisfied with the way that they stuck the landing with it yeah the build up think... was so good like uh, yeah, from, from I, the shorter say, stuff to him yeah. parting with AG to like, you know, Rumble one on one, like all the everything in between. You know, I just wanted this confrontation to. I just wanted it to be better. It just was not as good yeah. as it could have been. I think and to me, like the said, Arthur sucking. Yeah, I think for me it comes down to two things. One. I think this episode actually, through the benefit of hindsight, made me realize that Arthur was never working in the first place as a character. I mean, I don't think that the... <laughs> I don't think he was meant to be taken as a joke. But the problem is, is that you can look at my Twitter for the amount of times I've dumped on him. I did take him as a joke. And yeah, that's fun. That's fun to do. But here's the thing. If I set out to do serious drama and I don't do serious drama, I have failed. So if I'm saying out to make a character who is a rival, who is meant to be taken seriously, and I turn people don't take it seriously, that is a failure. Right. Right. It's as simple as that. Sure. I'm sorry. Uh, but, however, unlike previous shows, like the one I mentioned earlier, the little show that fucking couldn't, uh, one, I have a lot more faith in Banana Fish for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. Firstly, the rest of the material is still solid. The Kilimanjaro bit with that little discussion, you know, about the, uh, the leopard that was, was excellent. That was, <laughs> that was great. great. That was fantastic. That was great. Two, this is not, this is the ending of a plot. Mm -hmm. Arthur is now done. He is spent as a character. He will not, I can't see him coming back because I can't see what purpose he would serve. Um, so that's great. I'm okay with that. I'm not worried about the show's future because of the fact that he's no longer a factor. We're going to have the interesting characters come in there. You look younger, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you long come back. Yeah, yeah exactly. He'll be back. So, as much as this episode was regrettably a, a relative disappointment, mm -hmm. it's still solid. It still felt good to see that finally happen between Ash and Arthur. Again, my complaint is more that I just wish it was better handled, but mm -hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. And I'm still excited to see what happens next. So bring it on, I say. More, more please, and uh, good rinse to bad rubbish in Arthur, you know, Mr. Five-Finger Discount himself. All right, we have to make another. We have to make an Arthur poll. Uh, all right, so are are you glad he's gone? <laughs> Three question marks. Oh, to answer your Hold question, Vera. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that Goldstein is not going to return until probably the lace up bit of lace part of the show. Uh, this is where Lutz, Long, sorry, will make his move. I I think that the rest of the shows will be clearly or cleanly segmented into dealing with him and then Goldstein second. Uh, as for what's going to happen with him, well, with Arthur out of the picture and him being, of course, in command of Goldstein's men, this leaves a power vacuum. 
because Golzine, of course, is out of the country and he probably doesn't have Skype or Discord, so he can't instruct his men to do shit. So, I'm reckoning this is going to cause the Chinese to flare up. Uh, characters, of course, are caught in prison, so they're going to have to get out of it somehow. I'm hoping we don't yeah. get a full... I will say this. We had the prison stuff previously. I don't want another full episode or two devoted to time in prison. I, I would be very happy if the next episode started, or nearly started, with Ash coming out, like, you know, straight out of it. In, mm-hmm. out, and the time in between yeah. is irrelevant, because it doesn't matter. We don't need to bog it down at this point. Let's get keep things going. Let's deal with the fallout of this. And let's have, you know, Mr. Dark Side of the Moon himself, you know, come into play. Mr. Dark Side of the Moon, right. Yeah. I am, however, going to say that I am surprised Arthur didn't actually live as long, come to think of it in the end, but that being said, with the now realisation I've had of how rubbish he was for the show and the material... Well, again, good prints are bad rubbish on many levels. What's the over-under for plane tickets booked for AG that he just doesn't use in this show? <laughs> How many I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. Oh, man. How many tickets booked for AG will go unused? Well, it's going to get that GoFundMe going in a bit. Um, Crowdfund his trip home. Or maybe they'll use eBay's Patreon dollars, I don't know. eBay's Patreon dollars? How dare you? Still my favorite running joke. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, Shadon. If you had to rate the episode, then what would you, in your critical, you know, stance on it. Where does that come out numerically? Alright. Please forgive me, folks, for what I am about to do. On a five-point scale. Alright. Please forgive me for what I am about to do, but again, I can only speak to how I rate it. I'd rather be honest with you guys rather than say, you know, pretend that this work is is absolutely false. Like, what do we benefit from, you know, pretending otherwise when we, when I can only speak to my reaction was that I was laughing during the train section, and I shouldn't have been. I mean, come on. The train section was not meant to be a joke, but I was just, I was just pissing myself with laughter. It was, as you said, Nathan Drake level stuff. But hey, but hey. So, in the end, is I am still chilling with Max. Is that where he is? He's back in Japan now, and he's just like, shit. Have I forgotten something? Did I think, did I leave something behind? I should probably go check with the airline. No, he's either like in Japan or with Max still. They haven't shown him leaving, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, all right, give, give me, it to me straight. For me, for me, final score will be two and a half. Yeah, you heard me. Two and a half subway drive bys out of five. Wow, that's really low. <laughs> it is. That's five. Why? Because I genuinely felt like. I genuinely genuinely felt like, apart from the Kilimanjaro stuff, the rest of this just felt like a wimp. Arthur went out with a whimper rather than a bang. That explains pretty much everything else that happened up until that point. It was just ineffectual. I'm sorry, guys. That's the truth of how I feel about it. It wasn't up to stuff. Gosh. Well, you know. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna still 
I'm gonna rate it three and a half graffiti cover trains out of out of five. <laughs> uh, well, no, you did the train, so I'll say Aha! three and a half. Uh, you need to train harder. Three and a half replaced fingers out of five. <laughs> uh, th- three and a half sweet ass MK2 fatalities. <laughs> oh, oh, fine. <laughs> Uh, man. Uh, wow, two and a half. Boy, man, I I don't know. I so I yeah, I really like I said we I think we both enjoyed the middle quite a lot, and you know despite the dissatisfaction I felt with the scenes I was unsatisfied with, I don't know. I mean it was it was still Ash and he was doing cool things, which again on a certain level a base level I appreciated. Um. Yeah, I will just mention one thing with regards to making Ash do cool things. Though that's problematic, in that much as it defanged attention for the trade stuff, it's also now going to factor in what happens later. Now that being said, Lot is not Arthur. Arthur was mostly about fighting strictly with brute force. You know, oh, I'll just throw gang. Tricks. I'll throw gang members in. I'll throw gang members in. It'll be fine. Oh, I'll try and fight in one on one. It'll be fine. And obviously, he lost every time. Whereas Yolong, of course, is more of a schemer, and that's where the interesting stuff happens. So, that's fine and all, but, like, insofar as actual physical altercations go, like, I don't have much fear for Ash at this point. Yeah. And again, like, as well, I said before... Okay, so I think, like, this is why Yulong will be more interesting. Because I, mm-hmm. I predict that he'll... That the fight will be more about manipulating Ash into these various situations, you know? That, yeah. that he he can't get out of or it's extremely difficult for him to get out of yeah i i hear you on that i mean funnily enough i recently started watching thunderbolt fantasy season two and here's the thing right there are two concurrently running plots in that show thus far one of which is about shang and you know is you know unlimited blade works imitation scroll thing uh, and then of course there's uh mr enigmatic gale mr vape wizard way now uh and i can't remember the gentleman's name who's from seiyu uh, he's the guy with the glasses uh, now, here's the thing, right? All of the action thus far has been with Shang fighting the Princess of Cruelty Lady, Shay, or whatever the name is. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible with, Jap- with Chinese, Japanese I was names. Say, like, you don't even get Japanese names. In, in no, I can't even get any of them right. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm absolutely I mean, you, terrible. I mean, we, like, don't they? I mean, we're, we're probably a bad podcast, so of course we, of <laughs> we, course are. we are. We we're are. on brand. We're on brand for getting it wrong. We're Dirty Gaijin, or Gaijin, I suppose you want to call it. Like, you're really muck up. Well, the point I was trying to make was that all of the action in that show thus far has been centered around uh, Shang uh, fighting, you know, the Princess Cruelty Lady, which is good, don't get me wrong. But for me, the best bits by far have been watching Mr. Vape Wizard, you know, stirring and mixing shit up. He's not fighting anyone, he's just literally talking, having banter with this guy from Say You, who's trying to, you know, do his own thing of lies and deception. So that's why I'm hopeful that that will similarly follow here. We've got, you know, Mr. Dark Side of the Moon himself, you know, mixing things up. Now that we've got like the disc one final boss out of the way. Yeah. The disc one. Oh, he's, he's not even a disc two final boss. <laughs> of course he is. Um, of course um, he is. Hell, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised I barely consider him, you know, more than the final boss in Midgar in Final Fight Seven, the one you fight on the, uh, you know, the motorway. Yeah. Yeah. He's barely that. That, anyway, that's a that's an easy boss. <laughs> Most bosses in that game are, to be fair. But uh, what's number was a bitch though. But 
Anyway, oh that's gosh, no, yeah, no, there's there's some some carry armor, carry armor. Oh my god, carry armor was just a anyway. We'll uh cut the discussion on the Archie shot. So, yes, um, that's episode 13 of uh Banana Fish, uh, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. And why, yes, I was a bit frosty on this episode, but uh, but, but <clears throat> thank you always, everyone, for listening and joining in with us today, both in chat and just in the stream in general. Always a pleasure to be here. Good to have you guys back here after the break that we had recently. Yes. Um, always enjoy hanging without, Indeed, yeah, it's always good to have you here. Uh, Mira, by the way, asked before about checking out the manga. I'm going to consider doing that once the show is actually concluded, just so I can see it. Because I did buy all the, I bought all the volumes that are in English that I can get hold of as far for Land of the Lustrous. And I feel, you know, I'd be remiss not to with Banana Fish. But anyway, Doc, uh, so assuming someone finds themselves on the internet for some strange and terrifying reason, uh, where can people find you? At the Subtle Doctor on Twitter. Good stuff. As for me, well, you know, whether I'm playing fighting games, talking about anime, uh, you know, decrying the state of my life, all the sorts of crazy shit that I get up to, uh, you can find me at Shade and Tencent, and I have a curious cat on the same handle as well if you feel like sending pointed or non-pointed questions. So there you go. Anyway, uh, that concludes that. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 14 when hopefully, you know, things pick up. Um, still loving the show, of course. It's just, well, you know, I would, it, I mean, it's rare that you have a show that's consistently perfect. There's always going to be some episodes that are weak in others, and it's a relative. Yeah. Uh, but for me and Doc, as always, thank you all, everyone, so much for listening. Have a very pleasant evening. And as always, everyone, brace your to the ends of the universe. Au right. revoir.